This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to Reporters Without Orders. Order, order. Hello and welcome to Reporters Without Orders, a podcast where we talk about what made news, what didn't and some things that absolutely shouldn't have. I'm your host Snigda and today I have with me News Laundry reporter Ayush. Hello Hi, Ayush. Hi Snigda. And a very special guest, Bibek Bhattacharya, who is deputy editor at Mint Lounge. Bibek has been writing an excellent series called Climate Change Tracker, where he brings you weekly updates and explainers about climate crisis. Hello, Bibek. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on the show, Snigda. How have you been? Nah, I've been good. It's been a very hectic um, week. Uh, well, more than a week of climate change stuff. So I yeah, know. it's been pretty crazy. Yeah, I think someone who's covering climate. Vivek, uh, your importance in the Indian media has grown exponentially over weeks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not so sure about that. But like, I mean, you know, more people should be covering it because I think it's the, at least overarchingly, it's the biggest uh, thing that right. is facing us. That's true. Absolutely. So before we begin... I want to tell you guys about News Laundry. We are a 100% ad-free news platform and we need your support to stay afloat. So please subscribe to us and pay to keep news free. And listeners, if you're listening to this podcast on Spotify, Stitcher or SoundCloud, remember to tune into our website www.newslaundry.com to check out the other cool stuff that we do. Great. So let's begin with the most bizarre news stories we've read this week. Why don't you start, Bibik? The most bizarre, huh? Yeah. Well, I mean, um, I can't think of a most bizarre story, but uh, I did come across an extremely sad story. Okay. Um, well, uh, yesterday, uh-huh. while I was uh, working on a climate change story. Right. And this is about a small glacier in um, the Swiss Alps. Okay. It's called the Pizol Glacier. Okay. And uh, it has been officially been declared dead. Oh, no. So about 250 people, like including children and climate scientists and people from the nearby towns and villages, yeah. went up to the glacier to hold a funeral oh. and um, do a little, uh, you know, memorial march mm-hmm. in the memory of this glacier. Mm, so I thought that was, uh, that was, well, I mean, you could say it's bizarre, but it's also very sad. That's true. That was one thing yeah. that I read this week. What about you, Ayush? Well, I uh, came across this piece of news. I think you'd mentioned it in your DD today. Right, yeah. About the student in Patna. Yeah. A college <laughs> student who, you know, donned a very uh, fashionable dress and had a photo shoot around the city yeah. and, you know, uh, knee-deep waters. Yeah. And uh, th- th- that was bizarre in itself. But then the response to it, I felt very sad for her that she got a lot of social media backlash. Did you yeah. read all those yeah, comments? Yeah, I did, I did. Vivek, did you see it? This girl wearing a no, red gown from Patna. No, no, I, yeah, so I she, think I missed it. Yeah, so she did a photo shoot and people are going really crazy over it. But I think you, it was quite sad. I yeah, mean, but I what do you think? Does it work? She said she did it for, you know, to draw attention to the right. Patna floods. But right. uh, I think she was bored. <laughs> That's what. <laughs> so what was the bizarre news that you came across? So I read this uh, piece about animal social media influencers, right? Okay. There are lots of them. You must have seen them on Instagram. Right. right. So I read this particular news about uh, this girl who had a French bulldog called Chloe. Right. And uh, the dog died due to medical negligence. So basically she was waiting for compensation from the hospital right. before 
she went to speak to the public about uh, the incident, right? Okay. And uh, when she realized after a year or so that the compensation was not coming, mm. she has launched this, you know, sort of campaign about how pets are considered property and they don't have any rights and this and that. Right. But uh, I was reading, you know, how much they make out of one single post. How much? If they have like more than 100,000 followers, they make up to 3,000 to... $15,000 per post. Per post. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, no wonder they're all eating our advertisement money. <laughs> you know? That's a big gripe. So anyway, now for some important news stories that made news and should have. Vivek, please do the honors. Uh, okay. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess the biggest news of last week, uh, I mean, there were many and they were all related. Yeah. Um, I guess the biggest news would be the uh, climate strike marches that happened all around the world, the yes. protests. And, um, you know, some uh, 600,000 people marched on one day. Right. And it happened over two Fridays so I think that was the biggest news and I mean, you know, and it did make a lot of um, people sit up and take notice of yeah. uh, the importance of climate mitigation. So I think that was the biggest thing. And also, you know, people, uh, children in India as well participated. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty big. Vivek, I wanted to ask you, what made you start the series, the Climate Change Tracker series? Um, yeah, well... I mean, uh, I have been writing about climate change on and off for about a year now. Right. And also some, uh, you know, allied subjects like conservation, etc. Mm-hmm. But then it kind of got to a point where I figured that, you know, that there are climate change related news coming out just about every week. Yeah. And uh, sometimes it's kind of difficult to keep track of the way the uh, the world is changing the way our uh, responses to that change is also kind of uh, continuously undergoing a change itself. So, so yeah, so I figured that it would be a good idea to actually have a weekly column, which even if it doesn't follow the news exactly, Mm -hmm. at least it keeps, uh, or at least the hope is that it will keep people engaged with climate change as a subject. Right. Because um, sometimes, uh, you know, we only care about it when there's some big natural disaster True. happening somewhere yeah. or the other. But, you know, rest of the time, it just kind of flies uh, from our uh, mind Yeah. because it's not really as much like, you know, political or anything of the sort. So I thought that something regular which would keep, um, you know, which would kind of keep readers coming back to the mm-hmm. subject would be a good idea. Right. Uh, Vivek, I had a question. Uh, yeah. I've noticed that, um, I mean, I follow on and off the, the climate justice and the climate you know action movement. And I've realized right. that although uh, there is a good amount of awareness, I, I can say especially in the English speaking, you know, urban population, about right. how climate change, how, uh, you know, it's almost hanging on our heads now and how urgent uh, the measures need to be. But I've realized that uh, this doesn't reciprocate into rather Indian, um, these this class of people who are very aware about them questioning the, the Indian government about what it wants to do about these things. So I've noticed this one uh, response that things mm. are urgent, but uh, on the other side, I sometimes think that element of protest... It doesn't 
really as citizens how aware are we how um, you know how much do we know of the facts you know the fact is that uh, yes of course i mean there is um, you know it's it's a historical truth that uh, certain other countries in the west have been polluting for far longer than us and uh, that sometimes it may not be fair to say that you know put india on the same footing as say the us given the historical levels of emissions but it's also true that right now india is the third largest emitter in the world so you can't really change that fact so i think in order to uh, able to like you know question the government's policies or to have um or to participate in this entire discourse i think as citizens we need to be much better informed than we are here right right absolutely yeah in your last week's column you wrote about climate strikes and how yeah. effective community mobilization can force governments to cut down carbon emissions right i wanted to mm-hmm. ask you it's sort of related to ayush's question that uh, you mm-hmm. know protests and rallies are a great way of letting the government know that look this many people right. care about this particular crisis right but uh, right. in india like mm. to what extent will these rallies actually translate into government policies and what can we do like in the west we can see like you know politicians are taking this seriously like in the us they have the mm. green new deal i mean how can we get something like that what do we have to do to get something like that uh, right i mean you know that i think i think a, a big uh, barrier in this regard in this country comes down to a matter of uh, class and privilege right. because um, now because see there are two ways that you can um, frame the concept of uh, say a climate protest right there is the continuous almost uh, grassroots mobilization Mm-hmm. by uh, people in say uh, tribal areas or in the coastal areas against government policies which take away a um, or which hamper a mm. their uh, livelihood opportunities but which also have a knock on effect because you know why are their livelihood opportunities being affected because it's because say a patch of forest is being cleared somewhere mm. or a port is being made on an existing mangrove forest or something like that right. so now i think the problem is that a lot of the way that we frame uh, protest in urban areas in this country is also comes from a point of view of privilege i don't think uh, we have managed to kind of um as citizens as equal citizens mm. between we haven't been able to bridge that gap between uh, you know concerned urban citizenry and um, people who live outside of our radar in 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 the forests in in on the coasts in and people who are far poorer than we are i think that kind of i think if that those kind of synergies are kind of established yeah uh, we might see uh, any indian uh, climate related protests having a, a you know a greater impact mm mm-hmm. 
So, for example, the RA forest protest, right? You, right. Uh, I, I remember reading in your column that you read, like, it felt like, you know, the Indian climate justice movement is actually growing legs now. Do you think, can we take on fossil fuel companies like, you know, Adani and Ambani? Do you think we are equipped, we are ready, we can do it? Um, I think, I think it's a couple of things. First of all, I mean, if you see, for example, in that particular column, I also talk about how uh, communities are using uh, lawsuits right. against exactly. uh, yeah. both against governments as well as against corporations yeah. uh, in this regard. Now, but the thing is that, um, uh, first of all, again, is what I had said that uh, to do something like that, we need to be a much more aware ourselves. Mm-hmm. And B, the thing is that um, as far as I know, I may be wrong, but I don't think there's a massive uh, ecosystem of, uh, of of kind of climate inflected um, of, uh, you know, judicial uh, or I wouldn't say judicial, but like, say, um, legal mobilization. Right. I don't I, I yeah. don't know how many lawyers we have in this country or how many litigators we have in mm-hmm. this country who look at this particular Actually, uh, subject. Actually, very few. Um, so, because elsewhere, I mean, again, in the West, if you see where a lot of these uh, lawsuits are brought against uh, uh, polluting concerns, you'll see that there is already a very thriving ecosystem of like, Thanks. you know, which, uh, which includes lawyers, citizens, right. academics. Right politicians, policy people. So it arises out of that. So, you know, so while an RA forest protest uh, continues to put, you know, feet on the ground and like people are protesting and people are doing whatever they can. Mm -hmm. But um, I think in the in the larger scheme of things, uh, we need to uh, people need to be better organized. Right. But this one point I thought uh, I I wanted to make on this yeah. is that just as um, the American society there's a historical relativity mm. to which which we used to say that they've completed a cycle of industrialization yeah. and therefore they can cut down on the you know renewables mm. and def- and precisely at that point w- because we can't do that because mm-hmm. we are still you know in industrializing yeah. we're still yeah. we're increasing our coal production right. I think yeah. last I heard. Mm. So just as that's happening and that industrialization produced a class of educated people who can be made aware of hmm. something like an environmental movement. Right. In India, that process is still going on. It's mm-hmm. a social change. True. So just as we haven't industrialized and therefore we can't cut down on resources, is the exact same reason you can say in the growth of a society where we don't have a class of people mm-hmm. which are either taking the the stand to spearhead a movement that you know to create awareness or to be aware in that respect so it's um, I don't know it's an amusing uh, riddle of history yeah yeah, also interesting to watch well I mean you are you are right in a way um, in the sense that you know for example when you when we talk about um, you know coal production in this country uh, it's it's more than say um I would say a cycle of industrialization. Here, it's a matter of livelihoods. Exactly. Say, if you were to shut down a coal mine in, say, Dhanbad, what are you going to, what are the alternate employment options that you're generating for the hundreds and thousands of miners who work there? So it's it's more like a larger integrated uh, question that, like, you know, when, if... 
if in order to cut down on carbon, you shut down carbon industries, therefore you lose carbon jobs, then what do you replace them with? And this is a problem that even um, uh, Western industrialized yes, nations sure. are grappling with. Right. Vivek, uh, the most, I mean, it's uh, related to fossil fuels, this question. The hmm. most effective way is to combat climate change is to change into renewable energy, right? But does India really have the capacity to do it? Now, I mean, um, how long do you think it's going to take? And yeah, like you pointed out, what about those job losses? Yeah, see, I mean, there's all of that. But uh, like, for example, uh, one of India's biggest uh, claims to fame in terms of uh, climate change mitigation globally is India's um, uh, investment in investments in renewable energies. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, to this end, uh, last week at the UN Climate Action yeah. Summit, uh, the Prime Minister uh, announced that yes. plans of ramping up India's uh, renewable energy uh, share right. from, I think, what it is uh, currently 150 gigawatts to about... 450 gigawatts right, right. by 2023. Yes. Now, I mean, it is an announcement, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, it is a big announcement. But then again, uh, if you look at that and if you kind of uh, take that announcement, mm -hmm. then you will also have to worry about uh, other things like, you know, how much of this uh, 450 gigawatts can our existing grids handle? Right. If so... Uh, do we have the capacity for storage of such uh, electricity when it is generated? Right. Do we already have the infrastructure for this storage? Have we started thinking about building this infrastructure for this storage? So, um, so even when you talk about like shifting to renewable energy, renewable energy from any source, it just obviously just doesn't exist by itself, but it's part of a larger ecosystem like coal fired energy is part of a larger ecosystem of carbon-based uh, electricity generation similarly right. renewable has its own ecosystem so mm -hmm. but so if we want to push up our um, renewable energy quota mm -hmm. then we also should have the back end in place exactly yeah uh Bibi, can you also talk about the ipcc report that came out last week yeah. What were the major well, findings? I'm, I'm glad you asked because yeah. of, of, of all the other things, um, this is, to me, it was the biggest thing that happened last week. Right. Um, and uh, not to cast aspersions on the, on all the hundreds and thousands of people protesting around the world, but uh, purely because it's useful for everyone, uh, because it's ultimately it's a review of current available scientific research. Mm -hmm. So what science tells you can be used by you as a means to effect change in terms of climate change policies are concerned. So now uh, this was the third um, report after last October, there was the 1.5 degree report, uh, yeah. which spoke about what would happen if uh, we could not keep down uh, yeah. global temperature rise to um, just about 1.5 yeah. degrees centigrade. So it's right now we are at about 1.1 uh, degrees centigrade yeah. the, since the industrial revolution. Mm. So uh, so that's what the report talked about and it was a pretty scary sight. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, so that was followed up with the second in that series in August, which was... Um, 
climate change and land, how yeah. land use and land patterns uh, affect uh, gets affected by uh, climate change. Mm. And this is the third one, which is right. uh, the effect of climate change on, on oceans, oceans yeah. and the cryosphere, which means like all frozen areas of the planet from right. the poles to the uh, to say Himalayan glaciers. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so t- given the fact that what about um, 70% of our world is um, ocean. Right. And given the fact that, as the report says, up to 90% of the heat generated by global greenhouse gas emissions is absorbed by. Uh, has been absorbed by the ocean, mm-hmm. this is a pretty big report. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they, I mean, I read some of it and it said oceans are getting more acidic and like we saw the Great Barrier Reef die. These are some of the after effects, right? And uh, they, right. yeah, they, uh, I also read towards the end of the century, if we don't stop, ocean levels will rise by three feet, which is pretty scary. Maybe what do you think about, um, I, I read uh, Sandeepan Deb's uh, Live Mint piece. And in it, he had said something, I think something disparaging about the IPCC. He said, the IPCC is wrong all the time. And I don't know, I, 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 I mean, I was confused as I was, whether I would treat it as frivolous or just plain wrong. But do you think that IPCC is just uh, wrong all the time or whether the larger point it makes are actually should be taken seriously by the global community? Um, no, I wouldn't say IPCC is wrong. Uh, forget all the time. They are not wrong at all. Right. Um, but in the sense that, uh, you know, uh, now, in the history of all the IPCC reports on climate change that have been coming out for, um, you know, over two decades now, there have been some methodological hiccups in the past, um, which are often seized upon by people who seek to criticize the report. Mm. Right. But um, on the whole, uh, the IPCC reports are pretty, are, well, I mean, they're very good and they're very sound. Right. Um, I would even say that... Uh, a lot of uh, people in policy believe that if if anything ipcc plays it safe by giving estimates which are a little more less scary than they perhaps are hmm. so if anything uh, if the ipcc says that you know by 2100 if we continue on this path global temperatures might rise by, um, you know, four and a half degrees centigrade above uh, the Industrial Revolution, uh, the closer figure might well be two degrees higher. Right, right. right. <laughs> uh, Bibek, uh, one last question about uh, climate change. I wanted to ask you about how uh, people's response to climate change and the climate crisis has changed over the last decade or so. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I can... I can give you, uh, okay, let me start by giving you my own example. Yeah. Uh, You know, and a lot of it is, uh, I think a lot of uh, people's responses to climate change are couched in how you see it. Do you see it as something that will happen in the future? Hmm. Do you see it as something that is already happening now? So I think people's responses to climate change vary depending on this. 
Right. Um, I would say, well, about ten years ago, um, frankly, I don't think uh, it it mattered to me. You know, uh, beyond like um, what what was that film? An inconvenient truth. Right. right? <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, well, to rephrase, so ten mm. years ago, I don't think uh, my responses to climate change were um, anything beyond feeling completely horrified when I mm. uh, saw an inconvenient truth, mm. you know. But uh, again, at the time, to me, it seemed like something that will happen in the future, right. and that uh, by then we would have figured something out. Yeah. But um, and but you know some ten years have come and gone and we really haven't uh, figured anything out, frankly. Um, and so right now, and given all the evidence and given the fact that uh, it, this is something that I engage with uh, on a much more deeper level, mm, I firmly believe that we are living through climate change right now, and that has changed my uh, view and perception towards it. So I would say that uh, it would be similar for people like, you know, for some people living right now, they think that climate change is something that's going to happen in the future. But like 10 years later, some more severe cyclones and some more, you know, uh, flooded Bombay's and, uh, you know, and flooded Kerala's and mm. flooded Bihar's and like, you know. Uh, some more of these things will happen over the next 10 years and then you know then pe some more people will think oh yeah we are actually living yeah. in an era of climate change it's no longer in the future right. yeah i i relate to you in that respect i think uh, algo's documentary was mm. for a lot of us the initiation ceremony into you know the whole climate yeah. change debate <laughs> Uh, Vivek, I've got one right. more, one last question about uh, media and environmental journalism. So, mm -hmm. I mean, in India, it's still not picked up, right? I mean, it's still at a very nascent stage. It, uh, recently, we had this event called Media Rumble, where we had a panel of environmental journalists, and they were talking about how difficult it is because big media houses are not very keen on carrying stories, especially TV channels, right? I mean... Uh, like right. Ayush, Ayush pointed out a couple of days ago, when will we see that day where there is a breaking news related to environment yeah. or the climate or even, crisis? Even a primetime debate, perhaps. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, w what do you think about the future of environmental journalism in India? Because, uh, I mean, it has a huge role to play, right? In uh, mm. Um, certainly, I, I I think. Well, I don't really watch much TV news, so I can't <laughs> talk about that. Yeah. But uh, I can certainly say that a lot of um, I think that uh, environmental journalism as a term is increasingly I feel it's kind of misleading mm -hmm. because I think environment and especially our changing environment mm -hmm. and climate change has kind of. Uh, is now affecting um, a lot of things that are happening around the world and in this country. Hmm. I mean, um, often if you just like dig a little deeper, uh, you'll find that a lot of the drivers of many things that are happening around the country are also rooted in, um, in so to speak, climate change. Hmm. Um, I see, for example, in Mint, uh, we do a lot of reporting, a lot of uh, rural uh, economic reporting hmm. and uh, we do some great stories now you wouldn't they are definitely not environmental stories hmm. but they are stories about say the farm sector or right. stresses 
to the workforce or mm-hmm. you know a, a whole host of other issues but mm-hmm. when it comes to specific sectors like say agriculture mm-hmm. or like india's water regimes or things like that um increasingly it's important and i think that you'll see that in a lot of like mint reports as well mm-hmm. is that uh, uh, is that our reporters and our, our journalists do make those connections about you know what are the stress points like right. yeah sure so like you know um, say uh, the maharashtra drought is uh, of course there are certain stress points which we know of which are talked about hmm. but what are the hidden stress points for example you know how are they related to a changing environment hmm. so i think uh, i think a lot of reporting in this country needs to kind of um, stop being hyphenated like you know there is after a while there is really no economic uh, journalism there is right. no environmental journalism and increasingly there's a lot of things which you can't really call political uh, reportage as well because right. you have to right. kind of look at things in a holistic way and i think the sooner you do that uh, sooner the media does that or starts using it as a uh, principle i think yeah. you'll see a lot more um, uh environmental reporting come out of that because it's all related great yeah i mean i completely agree with you ayush what about your important news story i think uh, what was very important this week uh, was kafil khan's uh, the you know the state governments it had instituted an inquiry into the i think i forget the numbers but uh-huh. there were certainly above 100 right. of uh, children who died of japanese encephalitis in gorakhpur in uttar pradesh in 2017 right and uh, it cleared him of i think of uh, all can charges can you do a quick recap what happened to him yeah. and why was so he in picture so when the incident happened then uh, there was two camps that had been created soon after hmm. one camp saying that uh, this fellow kafir khan hmm. was who was in charge uh, of the hospital where the kids died he was there at the hospital huh. and he was pediatrician and he's a child specialist and they said that he actually you know did a lot of work that actually saved the number could have been way higher mm-hmm. but he made sure it wasn't he got cylinders oxygen cylinders and that curbed yeah uh, the number of what deaths could have been mm-hmm. a higher number uh-huh. and there was another school which said that he actually you know actually guilty of me- medical negligence mm-hmm. he has private practice mm-hmm. he was in charge of the ward where yeah. that's happened so the inquiries set up looked into these charges and it has actually said that he first of all he wasn't uh, in, in charge, charge. Mm. he wasn't even in charge of the oxygen supply mm. the billing and the tendering and mm-hmm. acquiring them so he was innocent on those counts the private practice bit he actually had a private practice in august uh, in the previous year 2016 before but this he incident. had stopped mm. when he had joined the hospital mm. and there was uh, the, so the inquiry report actually then goes on to praise him saying you know mm-hmm. his actions were actually you know went beyond his yeah, he uh, spent his own money on buying those absolutely. oxygen cylinders so more or less a green shit i thought but then the up government in uh, intervene said yeah. no you know the party is not uh, has yeah. not started for you guys actually yeah. he we are still looking into a couple of charges x y and z mm. 
and that 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 that, that, that was so confusing hmm. because no one asked the up government and i read the reports hmm, hmm, hmm. and i realized that first of all the up government stand on this whole issue yeah. has been that the deaths were weren't caused by an oxygen yeah. so- shortage mm-hmm. they were caused by illnesses yeah. different kind of illnesses and yogi made multiple statements just right. few days before this report came out that right. gave him a clean chit he right. still he kept saying that no right. he was responsible and it wasn't yeah. they didn't die because of oxygen Absolutely. shortage his the word he uses is drama drama that, exactly all this drama yeah, he's yeah. created so their it's position is not even mm-hmm. haven't accepted the fact that the oxygen was the reason mm. but this report says okay, that really? you know there was a shortage of oxygen mm. and first of all i was surprised that media houses didn't jump on that because yeah. it, the state government's inquiry has rebutted the state government's position yeah. so that that would have should have been a bigger or as important a piece of Story, news but yeah. that that did not become mm. that uh, but besides that uh, um, i think uh, they are still probing him on whether mm. he concealed the fact that he had a private practice right. before that so but meanwhile they've not found anyone who no. was actually responsible right. they've and, not and the, he's been in jail for he spent 9 months in right. jail yeah. uh, when he was jailed then so uh, i think that was something that should have made news and did but mm. a part of a component but of it was really missing from right. the news cycle right can you uh, you also travel to bihar Right, right, right. during the encephalitis outbreak can right. you are there any similarities between i mean what did you what were the things that really caught your attention well um, uh, uh, see the cycle the way these things happen in up and bihar hmm. is that uh, so the encephalitis outbreaks in bihar wasn't was not unique in 2019 hmm. far greater number of children had died in 2012 and 2014 as well hmm. but when these outbreaks happen there's a national sensationalization hmm. Hmm. for the next 2 3 years things come down back you know they yeah. just people take charge hmm. so only 30 40 that's a casualty number hmm. but again once an election year comes on hmm. when you know people become complicit once again and then again four five years later we have a number shooting up yeah. so in uttar pradesh one can't say again for example that things are all okay that hmm. hospitals have oxygen supply hmm. i think it will take a good 6 7 years or at least till the next election hmm. when everyone's just focusing and you know, the whole bureaucracy is focusing focusing on getting the votes will right. we know if things have actually been put in place to avoid such things hmm. coming to stories that made news but shouldn't have bibek um well um i think that uh, yeah well i mean to come back to my pet subject and yeah. i'm sorry to <laughs> continuously come back to climate no, change no, no, but i've been be like sorry at all. swimming in it over the past week or so <laughs> but um i think i think a lot of uh, i think a lot of the hate that uh, greta thunberg has been mm. getting from a lot of um, Uh, middle-aged men all yeah. over the world is uh, really news that should not be news because uh, i don't think that uh, they should be kind of given the platform to make these kind of ad hominem attacks in the first exactly. place yeah. and um, yeah and uh, you know and because she is the figure that she is right now a sort of like a lightning rod for climate justice protests around the world of course it would attract a lot of uh, coverage mm-hmm. but i really don't think uh, these people deserve to be in the news for uh, like abusing her yeah I, that reminds me of uh, manu joseph's column uh, that he wrote for live mint actually yeah. um, I, i'll just quote him 
So he says on social media, young women are representing Thunberg's critics through a common meme that young women used to insult middle-aged men. A scene from Game of Thrones in which a young woman is saying, uncle, please sit. It's a perplexing choice of meme, as it is from a series where uncles are no longer pushovers. Rather, they appear to get a lot of sex from young women. Uh, <laughs> uh, did you read this piece, Vivek? <laughs> no, no, I haven't. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm afraid I haven't. What do you? What, um, what is your response to this particular paragraph? No, I mean, you know, I mean, uh, I I don't really have a response to this because. Um, I really don't know what to say because uh, as far as I am concerned, it is much more important to focus on the facts right. and not get kind of uh, sidetracked by um, any kind of like an emotional pitch. Look, right. I mean, if it's an emotional pitch by an angry teenage girl about hmm. the state of our climate mitigation, yeah, yeah I'm interested. Hmm. If it is somebody else's anger, uh, hmm. which is unjustified, I'm yeah. not interested. So, um, so yeah, you know, frankly, I'd, I'd, I'd rather read the facts and make up my own mind about it yeah. <laughs> than like, you know, react to this. That makes sense. And you know what, actually, I was thinking when the Manu Joseph piece came out that um, when he was the editor of Open yeah. in 2010 or 11, he had written a piece saying how um, the, criti- the criticisms of Sachin Tendulkar uh-huh. actually say a lot about uh, those who criticize him than about Sachin himself. Right. And I thought uh, that the same applied to Greta Thunberg <laughs> in his column. Yeah. That a lot of response to Greta That's Thunberg doesn't say a lot about her, but mm. about the people who are criticizing and where they him. come from and what yeah. are their priorities. I mean, and what they're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think that's absolutely correct. And uh, of course, I, I think I think a lot of this. Uh, I mean, there was this uh, Australian columnist who had like made these like absolutely horrible remarks about her. I think last month. Um, and uh, now the 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 thing is that I think for a lot of people um, who like arguing just mm-hmm. for argument's sake, uh, they will argue with anyone and they will argue with uh, just about anyone they can hold of. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of difficult to argue with an angry young girl. So, uh, yeah. you know, how do you argue with someone like that who's mm-hmm. like really pissed off? So um, all you can do is, um, you know, ad hominem attacks. Right. Yeah. And it really does say more about them mm-hmm. than yeah, her. That's true. Ayush? Um, stories that shouldn't have made news. I think it was when um, Prime Minister Modi returned from the United States, <laughs> and there was a lot, lot of jubilation yeah. at the Palam Airport. Like a hero has come yeah, back. The hero's return. <laughs> it actually was a private BJP affair because yeah. the Delhi BJP Manoj Tiwari had organized it. Of course. And he returned and he gave a speech and there was a podium and there was a felicitation and there was oh a lot of God. lot of pageantry around it. Yeah. And I remember, you know, when when I was in college, I was doing some research on an essay on Nehru hmm. and I had seen these pictures and these footages when Nehru would return from outside trips yeah. there would be a lot of crowds like right. at Palum and other airports hmm. Hmm. and I thought is this <laughs> is this going where I think it's going <laughs> is someone trying to imitate someone here but still it was rather needless and especially the headlines and all of it yeah. but faking news had a great headline did you what see it what was it no no like uh, PM Modi felicitated by an uh, by a jubilant crowd after he returns to the living room from his kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty good, okay. I thought. All so right. yeah, that, was, that shouldn't have made news at all. Mm, I agree. Let's move to stories that didn't make news, but should have. Uh, Ayush? 
what didn't make news i think the kafil one was definitely there the aspect i talked about mm-hmm. and there was a news about uh, the baksar uh, mp Uh, Ashwin Kumar Chaube Chaube sorry Chaube yeah. who Chaube who actually threatened some policemen in a public court so there are these public courts which is horrifying an idea yeah. first in itself and then um, a policeman who had issued a gunda notice right. gunda notice is actually a notice that the police issues to people that things are troublesome huh. you know in their in their area hmm. and they had issued a notice to an aide of the mp and in this public forum the poli- police officer was there he's a union minister right Ash- yeah uh, she's a yeah. union minister hmm. and chobe uh, actually if you see the video he humiliates the police officer for saying how can you take out a gunda notice i can strip you of your uni- form does he look like a gunda to you and he's done this before during the elections when the election commission had asked the yeah, police to stop him yeah this looks about election itself yeah, right to mm. actually he was flouting some model code of conduct mm. and he was shouting at the officer saying you know I'll take your job mm. so he's a habitual offender in that sense but uh, i just saw an express report on it and some and one ani video mm-hmm. and these things should be i mean the police <laughs> the, the union minister it, yeah. threatening police is just um, unimaginable that brings us to the end of the podcast now for some recommendations bibik um okay well i mean since uh, this is a podcast mm. i would suggest um, an excellent podcast that you guys should listen to mm. uh, it's called um, it's called warm regards um, okay. warm regards is a climate change podcast it's uh, hosted by uh, uh three scientists uh, they hosted like two at a time uh it's right now it's on a hiatus but i think it should be back in a month or so okay uh what's really very good about this uh, podcast is that uh it kind of talks about um, uh, you know climate issues from around the world but it kind of uh, talks about it from the point of view of climate scientists mm-hmm. so even the guests oh. on the show are climate scientists uh, of 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 uh, in various fields and they talk about subjects that are germane to their field uh, and the really nice part about this is that it's not full of like you know academic jargon or the thing or something like that yeah. it's just uh, a bunch of really knowledgeable people sitting mm-hmm. around and chatting and really improving your understanding of this entire issue right so yeah i would certainly suggest that you uh, listen to warm regards thank you so much vivek and ayush um i read this wonderful book uh, called a savage dreamland journeys in burma okay. by a british journalist who was based he was the i think the southeast asia correspondent of the telegraph and he's called david aimer hmm. and it's based on his uh, last a decade long you know uh, coming and going in burma especially observing it since uh, on uh, since the military mm-hmm. rule gave away to so called constitutional democracy yeah. and it's an excellent book it gives you a context of the burma's history the way the military used to operate and the situation right now which although seems hopeful to us is uh, far from hopeful from within yeah it's a good book great thank you and my recommendation is this very the headline is very clickbaity it's called hunting the con queen of hollywood it's on uh, hollywoodreporter.com it's about this woman who would pose as these really famous hollywood producers and she's still not been caught and she's duped people of like thousands and thousands of dollars and she basically tells them um, she pitches uh, a show to them and then she takes them to indonesia and uh, 
and she pays for uh, that part of the trip and food and everything she takes care of so people really start i mean they believe her right uh, the next thing she does is asks for an ad- advance that is obviously always more than $50,000 or even more and she's still not been caught so yeah that's my recommendation fun <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> All right then Vivek thank you so much for joining us. Thank you Vivek. Hope to thank see you, you thank soon. Thank you guys for having me on the show. So listeners that was a podcast um, episode with Vivek who uh, writes a climate change tracker column for Live Mint and if you made it so far into this podcast may I invite you to listen to other podcasts that News Laundry does there's an awesome pop culture podcast called The Awful and Awesome hosted by Abhinandan and Rajeshree there's the obviously legendary Anil Hafta and it's Hindi equivalent Anil Charcha and of course if you like this podcast and if you like those podcasts then never forget to recommend it to your friends to your family even your colleagues also we are very eager to hear your feedback so please write to us at contact@newslaundry.com at with reporters without orders in the subject line you can also leave your comments on twitter and instagram and don't forget to rate our podcast on whatever platform you're listening to and with that this podcast is adjourned all the news laundry podcasts are available on stitcher itunes and any other podcast platform please subscribe to news laundry help us keep news independent Catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs, and sport. Visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel.